you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. It's an honor to have you guys always with us. For 15 years, we've been bringing you the smartest people on the world, the billionaires, the CEOs, the uh, Pulitzer Prize winners, the people who advise presidents, the people who uh, write these amazing books that you see from all these amazing publishing houses. We're always honored they bring us on the show. And uh, all these brilliant people come to you on the show, and then one small idiot with a mic, myself. <laughs> uh, that's not right. Wait, who put that in the teleprompter? Yeah, it wasn't me. Uh, so there you go, guys. As always, uh, help us build the show. Give us five-star reviews over there on the iTunes and uh, give us uh, uh, follows. Refer your friends, neighbors, relatives, dogs, cats. Uh, get everybody involved in the family because you want to you want to make them smarter and uh, tell them to go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and Chris Foss One on TikTok. And uh, we have an amazing gentleman on, on the show. Uh, he's written his newest best-selling book. This is going to be hot to talk about and uh, a very insightful thing, I, I think, as well, because a lot of times these are stories that don't get told. Uh, he's the author of the newest book that comes out November 14th, 2023 holy crap we're almost to thanksgiving uh that's not the name of the book folks i'm just making that side note vincent vargas joins us on the show his newest book is called borderline defending the home front and i think this will be an important discussion to have because like i mentioned before it's a story that doesn't get told a lot we talk a lot about immigration what's going on at the border and different things like that but there's some stories that are left out and that's why we do these shows uh vincent vargas was born and raised in los angeles california after four years of active duty in the united states army serving three combat deployments with the second battalion of the elite 75th ranger regiment he joined the u.s army reserves where he continues to serve as a drill sergeant in 2009 he became a federal agent with the department of homeland security and served as a medic with the special operations group he is a successful entrepreneur actor writer producer currently stars in the hit fx show mayans mc and he's also a motivational speaker who focuses on leadership military transitioning and motivating youth He's happily married with seven children, count them all, and uh, his bio says he resides in Salt Lake City, but I believe he just recently moved. Welcome to the show, Vincent. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. There you go. And uh, it was Dallas, Texas, right? Yeah, yeah. We moved to Dallas, Texas just recently. It, it's a little outdated, the bio, but we have eight kids now, and we're done. Holy crap. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Jeez, I just read it. I just read seven. You just picked up another eight in the last five seconds. <laughs> oh, you are from Utah. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so there you go. Welcome to the show, Vincent. Congratulations on the new book. Give us a .com so people can find you on the interwebs. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, really, that's social media, but you can do it at VincentRoccoVargas.com uh, or VincentVargas.com. You'll be able to find me. But social media, same thing, Vincent Rocco Vargas. I'm pretty much on every platform with that. There you go. So uh, what motivates you want to write this book? 
Uh, it was having frustrating times watching the news and watching uh, kind of the Border Patrol as a, an agency get demonized and, and politicized. Uh, I was a Border Patrol agent for just close to seven years, and I, I walked away from that career really proud of what I did there and proud of what the agency does. And so just watching it firsthand, uh, seeing the news kind of make them look like they are the scapegoat for everything immigration, I felt like I, I needed to write something that would hopefully better explain the career field itself and and maybe in a, in a digestible way so the average person could understand the career of Border Patrol and how what they actually entails of the career field, but as well as what they don't do. So so just the, there was so much confusion on the career field that I wanted to kind of help help clarify that. There you go. And was I correct in saying this is a story that doesn't get told much of the Border Patrol? You guys kind of get stuck in, uh, you know, being kind of the, uh, being kind of the, everyone in, getting all the blame from both sides of the parties and stuff? Yeah, yeah. That's the weird thing. You know, you'll hear the news call it border control where there's nothing mm -hmm. ever named border control. That's the lack of knowledge of the career field. Mm -hmm. You'll see things like detention and believe that that's border patrol, but that's usually ICE, right? Because, oh. What Border Patrol does as as, a, as an organization, right? They apprehend it and then they process and then they hand off to ICE. And so there's just a lot of confusion on the whole immigration process and all the wow. agencies involved. And so my goal was to, one, this book will better explain the career field. Will also uh, better explain immigration, kind of how how it is in our in our country, how it's dictated essentially. But as well as this book will kind of be an inside look onto the career and what they do day in and day out, as well as the special operations units in the organization. There you go. And is it a bit of a memoir as well? Yeah, it is. I, you know, I thought the best way to tell that story is to tell my own story, uh, how I got into the Border Patrol. And as I kind of gone through every chapter of the Border Patrol career field, from being a regular agent, going through the whole, you know, journeyman process, as well as select uh, trying out for selection for the special operations units and becoming a medic for a BORTAC team. Uh, and so I want to just tell my story as a BORSTAR agent, it's the BORSTAR hat right here, but to be, you know, that most people don't know how much, how many rescues happen on the border, how, how the humanitarian mission that happens daily on the border, and as well as how much drug, drug trafficking is stopped on the border as well. Yeah, we have a we have a real big problem with uh, fentanyl coming across the border as well. Uh, I think I think uh, sometimes that's used to mask you know, the people just don't want immigrants here and some sort of racial bias. Um, I know that one of the biggest problems we have. Someone said it very succinctly on Bill Maher the other night. They said basically what we have is. We have a, a Congress that doesn't want to do anything or can't do anything because it's so gridlocked. Um, and, you know, they'll be like, hey, you know, they, let's blame immigration or the Border Patrol or, you know, what's going on at the border. And you're like, hey, aren't you guys supposed to, like, regulate that? Like, like if you don't like what's going on down there, you're the idiots who's supposed to make the laws, like, do something. Right, right. And it's funny. So the people blame the Border Patrol for that. But it's like, wait, Border Patrol doesn't make the policies. Yeah, just, yeah, just like a sheriff doesn't create the speed limit. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's, you know, it's, you just follow policy. And yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, you guys are the sheriffs of the border. And you guys, you know, it, it, every police officer in this nation follows the laws that were made by the lawmakers, yeah. you know, and if you don't, if you want different laws and Go make him. But uh, the interesting point they made on Bill Maher was the gal said, uh, you know, with the advent of so many uh, presidents that now make executive orders, it's kind of become this thing where Congress doesn't want to, people in Congress don't want to do anything. And, and the fighting goes on on both sides. 
but they don't want to do anything. And they know that if they don't do anything, then a president will just make an executive order and they can blame the president for everything. If it doesn't work out, they can be like, Oh yeah, he, he made a, you know, meanwhile, you're like, you guys are supposed to make the laws. So I think this is important to point out, but also telling your story. So, um, tell us a little bit about your origin story. I know I alluded to some of it in the, um, in yeah. the bio, but uh, give us from your words, some of your journey through life, what grew you up? What, what, how were you raised? What, what shaped you and made you want to join our military? Yeah. You know, I'm a, my, my mother's a first generation American and uh, her mother came over uh, in a very special way. You'll have to read it through the book. It's pretty interesting, but my father's Puerto Rican. So I'm half Mexican, half Puerto Rican. And I grew up in the Los Angeles uh, area in the San Fernando Valley. Mm-hmm. I grew up playing baseball. Both parents were hard workers. You know, one's a believer, one's a dreamer. And they did their best to live that American dream. Um, my father is a LA, was a LA city firefighter. My mother was a secretary for the LA unified school district. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was a Marine. He got in trouble with the law when he was young and he, he became a Marine and I was raised by this Marine who wake up at seven o'clock and half the day is gone. You know what I mean? Like just tough. But I never thought about joining the military until I lost a full ride scholarship for baseball. Oh, wow. you know? And so I decided at that point it was, you know, I watched the war on TV. I seen it happening and a part of me didn't want to miss out on such an, mm-hmm. an time of our lives. And I also needed to pay the bills. I had a daughter on the way and I wanted to to find a way to support her. And so, uh, you know, being an athletic person, I decided I wanted to join the Special Operations Unit, Army mm-hmm. Ranger, become an Army Ranger. And I did that. And after my four years of active duty, I decided to just go into the reserve side and kind of pursue a life outside of the military. Uh, I became a prison guard for two years and right away within one month, I knew I didn't like that. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Why didn't you, did you, you went into the Army, right? Yeah, yeah I did. So is there a reason you didn't choose the Marines? Was it uh, any sort of issues there with dad? No, I asked Pops. I said, hey, uh, I want to join the Marines. He goes, don't join the Marines. I think he was trying to protect me, right? I think he was, I think he was guarding me, you know. But, uh, you know, the Army had a big signing bonus, and so that was uh, the most yeah. interesting thing for me. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, I mean, they're, they're, it's so interesting, the different branches and what they do and everything, and then the competition they sling at each oh, other, yeah. you know, which is better and stuff. So it's a it's a nice, healthy or an unhealthy, I don't know which it is. I guess it depends on what bar you're in on a Saturday night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember my brother, he went to he went to the Marines for four years, in, in, or he did his time. It might have been two or three. But he, uh, he came back and he told me about how the bars near the bases have steel cues, uh, pool cues instead of wood and i was like why and he goes that way they can't be broken over people's head and they have to be replaced all the time <laughs> yeah there was definitely a lot of drinking <laughs> fighting in the military <laughs> there you go well you know you got to get prepared for war somehow no, so yeah. uh you you uh ser- serve the time and you're still in the the army now i, rec- I recently uh was medically retired from the military and walked away okay. so yeah the only thing i currently am pursuing is the acting and writing space there you go and how did you find your way into acting and stuff uh, you know, the same thing everyone else does. You kind of, you head to LA and you, you do your auditions <laughs> and, uh, you know, have my headshot. I did some, I produced a film already by then. And so I had a little bit of a resume and walked into the right place at the right time and looked like, you know, someone who would be on the show, Mayans MC. And so landed go. a role and began to be on that show for the, for the entirety of the show. It just recently ended. Um, uh, but I ended there as a season regular and a writer of the show. There you go. Well, what is it like to go from, you know, being in the military to being on TV? Uh, similar and different, right? I think it's very similar in the fact that there's a hierarchy of, uh, you know, rank structure. And so, you know, know your job, do your job and, and you know, and uh, hurry up and wait is, is very common in both places, military and, and Hollywood. So <laughs> <laughs> 
felt like I, I fit in really well there. So it worked out. That's true. It is. It is the hurry up and wait thing, huh? Oh but yeah. Preparedness is everything. But uh, so, do you see yourself doing more in Hollywood here coming up? Yeah, I would like to. You know, the the writing strike and the and the acting strike kind of slowed the yeah. momentum. You know, it was kind of a good timing for us to to get this book out and and you know when there was nothing else happening. Um, you know, there's a few things hopefully that are coming down the pipe, but I want to hopefully, you know, this book hopefully tell the story of the Border Patrol, but hopefully make a screenplay of it as well. There you go. That would be good because these stories need to be get told. I mean, there are human beings down there uh, fighting the good fight and uh, you're dealing with stuff. Uh, tease us out some of the stories of the book that were some of your favorite things that you think are, are important. Uh, you know, the people we can encourage people to pick up the book. Yeah, I think it's interesting in the, in the immigration process side of things is you have two sides of parties arguing, right? And usually people have two different ideologies and they're arguing back and forth. But I think both of them have a valid argument, right? When you look at immigration, there is two sides of it. We want to look at our immigration policies, but we also want to understand uh, the homeland security side of things. And so we have to somehow please both of those arguments, you know, and both of those arguments are usually coming from one side or the other, uh, but they both can exist. And there is a, there is a, there is a fine line that we can find that that is equally humanitarian as well as providing security for our nation that we, we desire. You know, it, it just depends on how far we want to dial that too much security causes, causes an issue and too open of borders causes another issue. And so the answer is somewhere in the middle of that. And that's getting both sides of the part to have a conversation about it. So I dig, I delve deeper into that ar argument and, and try and explain that a little bit better to in a digestible way that most can understand. I use the metaphors like we all have, doors in our houses and with that door in our house we expect people to knock before they enter and as well as we could also determine how long they stay you know if they overstay their welcome we can actually kick them out and so uh that is uh you know a metaphor that is also used in the immigration side of things is that we do have a front door policy in our in our country and we want people to use that front door and we also know there's there's these outliers with the uh, you know a, a claim, claiming political asylum and things like that and that's what our country uh is good for is that we actually you know, have the humanitarian side of us trying to help those countries as well. But where's the balance in that? Where's the balance that we're, we're not dealing with what we have today? This influx, this overwhelming influx that, that depletes resources and then that causes more issues on our border where our own agents are not able to work the line as they normally would. And so then you start fearing the security aspect. There you go. Do we need to, uh, in your mind, do we need to provide, uh, do we need to upscale the uh, amount of agents we have uh, to try and cover? I know that we're seeing a record number of immigrants coming. Yeah. Um, is that one problem, the overwhelming you you know, know, per capita thing? Yeah, I, I like to say, like, you know, this whole immigration process, there's no like one plus one equals two answer. It's a yeah. very, it's it's a it's a recipe for a cake and anything too much can destroy it all or, or can make it better, right? And there so, you go. so if you see it that way, it's multiple layers of, of issues that we can address that could probably help this situation. Currently, what the administration has in order um, is, is not as effective, right? When you incentivize coming over to America illegally, well, now you have this massive influx, but we have mm -hmm. nothing in place to manage this, right? There's mm -hmm. no housing for this. There's no, there's no, there's, n there's nothing in place that can manage this besides what's happening now is the, you know, the notice to appear, the, the NTAs, which is uh, for the security aspect of it, of the, of the argument is dangerous, right? Just to, mm -hmm. to catch and release, if you will. And so, uh, there's a lot of things. The border, you know, 
they have close to 20,000 agents out there working and that's three different shifts working at a time. And so in this, you have some around maybe 3000 at a border at all times, uh, trying to protect our borders. When you have a massive influx, one direction, what slips through the cracks everywhere else that could be drugs, fentanyl, if you will, and so on and so forth. So yeah, there has to be something that is, that is rectifying the issue of the massive influx. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say, you know, you can harsher punishment. Yes, you can. Uh, but then there's an argument on that side as well. So there's a there's a long list of almost a seven layer cake of of decisions that have to be made and not just uh, scrape off the top what most political you know presidents or, or cabinets do you know as they turn over a new president it's like let's change this but there's still the seven layers underneath that that hasn't been fixed the Im illegal immigrants that who have been working here so far other countries in in their issues right do we do we help do we educate and as well as we can talk about you know the the problems we have with with trafficking organizations that are making yeah. money and so yeah. it's a long it's so many different areas uh currently i think the fact that we have incentivized coming over illegally is why we have the massive influx. How do we do that? And are we doing that right now? How do we, how are we doing that? Uh, the incentivization is, is a lot of, there's a lot of, um, nonprofit organizations that are giving money and giving, giving, uh, giving, um, migrants a lot more things than, than the average person would get as an American. Right. And so mm -hmm. right now in certain areas of the country, they're coming over and getting processed and then released to a notice to appear that could be 10 years from now. Uh, and then given a cell phone and some money from some of these, uh, these NGOs. Oh, really? Oh, oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cell phones, a plane ticket and sometimes $1,500. And so wow. that's, yeah. And so, that's an interesting one to me because I was like, whoa, that's that's crazy. I know in our own country right now we have people that are struggling with jobs with with other things. And so that's that one, that one, if that doesn't raise a question, what does, right? That's like that's interesting. Uh, but as well as what we've had before, you know, before there was an Operation Streamline where if you come across illegally, you actually went to jail, right? If yeah. they proved you were coming across without any proof of seeking asylum, mm -hmm. then, then you would go prison time. You would have some jail time. And that jail mm -hmm. time would 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 increase every time you've come over illegally. Well, that has proven to have slowed down the, the, the path of people wanting to come across, right? Yeah. Deterrent. Right. It's a deterrent. And so <clears throat> that has been something that has not happened when, when the crazy part about it, which is, I don't understand how, how good they are communicating, but it's so good about communication. As soon as you know, go to Eagle Pass, Texas right now, they're letting you in in three days, right? Wow. They Somehow, the whole South American countries and all the exotics who come across the border are getting pushed through in that same exact area. Mm. And then when you implement a new law, like back when I was in, like I said, it was Operation Streamline, where anyone who came across illegally would do 30 days in jail at first. And mm. then the second time would be a year and so on and so forth. Yeah, the traffic went down to like you would maybe catch 30 people in a month. Mm. And so somehow some way they're communicating very openly with where you can access in america and the, the fastest route to getting opportunities and that's so what's they're, happening. they're figuring out our weak spots basically awesome. uh or easy access parts now i know the trump administration built a lot of private prisons uh for i you know i don't know if it was for ice or for you guys uh and i don't know what they were used for i don't know if they were used for holding and processing i know the courts and the immigration courts are a big problem, and I think they're understaffed because they're so they're far absolutely, behind. Absolutely understaffed. Yeah, I mean, it's taking six months, eight months to a year to, to see some of these uh, wow. people claiming asylum, right? So it goes into a further investigation. I'll, I'll explain this. 
So when you come across the border illegally and the border patrol apprehends you, they put you through a process in which rolls your fingerprints, they get your information, they find out exactly where you're coming from. So in the event that we deport them, we'll send them back to their country. But currently, right now what's happening is if they have no prior history of any kind of breaking the law or whatnot, then they're going to be accessed to allow to become through because they're all claiming asylum, right? They're all mm -hmm. claiming political asylum. Why? Because they all know if they do, they have a better chance of staying in our country. Mm. So once they've been processed, then it's handoff to the ICE and ICE will determine what they do from that point. Border Patrol only does their apprehension, process and handoff. That's what Border oh, Patrol okay. And so in Border Patrol stations, you don't normally have uh, a holding area that can hold more than 20, 30 people. And so these massive influx were overwhelming border patrol stations. Like we have nowhere to put them. So then boom, they started creating those, what people called cages was actually just holding facilities. I don't know how else we would have done it or how they yeah. could have managed it better, but it was just a massive influx that no one was prepared for. And so now what you're seeing the border patrol has is processing centers. And some of those processing centers can house close to 1500 at a time. But within a three-day period, they're processing those 1,500 out and potentially another 1,500 come in. And those get handed off to ICE as well. They get bussed by ICE, and ICE will determine how they get released into wherever it is. And so right now, you guys, you know, there's some people saying, you know, they're getting bussed into sanctuary states, essentially what's happening. Why Chicago is currently, like, frustrated with that as well. Yeah, New York. Yeah, yeah New York, correct. Yeah, New York just really was screaming about it recently. They they feel like they're kind of uh, at the point, which is, I mean, the worst place to send people is New York because it's so damn expensive to live there. I mean, send people to, I mean, even Utah is cheaper to live in New York or just anywhere. Send them to Montana. They need people in Montana. Uh, Wyoming. There's plenty of room in Wyoming for everybody. I've been yeah, to Wyoming. It's it's wild that I'm not sure what the plan is for any of that. Is there's yeah. just such a massive influx? Like where yeah. do you put everybody? North Dakota. There's nobody there. It's like five people in North Dakota and Paul Bunyan statue, I think, or something. Um, but uh, and and I love how you're you're helping people understand this concept because these politicians that don't do their job and don't pass laws and just want to sling fest stuff to raise money on on uh creating you know social media whatever um it you know there's there's a lot of different factors that need to be addressed uh let me ask you this one of my perceptions of of one of the problems is this immigration issue is that po the theory that possibly we created this with all the mucking about from the 60s on that we did in south america trying to play our little imperialistic uh they were supporting capitalism. You know, we saw what we did in Chile with the uh, with the uh, Pinochet there, and you know, always trying to put our thumb on the scale of different things and mucking right. up. You know, we we've we've done a lot of stupid shit in South America, yeah, uh, and and really really fucked up some stuff. I mean, you know, between massacres and I'm trying to I'm thinking of a few different things that have gone on down there, but we we've kind of helped kind of created this, haven't we? Over over yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right, and and that's something that I think we're starting to to reap that now. You know, uh, you know the Venezuelans that are coming to America currently right now, the massive influx. Uh, I don't know much about what's happening with that. I know they're they're going through their struggles, right? But one of my friends who is an actor mentioned, he goes, "Yeah, but this all happened because America did this, this, and this." And I was like, "Oh snap, that's some interesting information." But it, it didn't strike me as a shock, right? Because I understand, like, yeah, we have, you know dabbled our fingers in areas that created this this ripple effect of issues um but i think that's part of one of our answers is that we have to find these countries that are struggling and why their people are wanting to leave their country and part of our job should be to help them 
find uh, a, a peaceful and, and, and a better situation for their people to want to stay. I yeah. think our job as America, you don't want, you, you, we don't want them to come here in this massive influx of people. We want them to use the regular system, but mm-hmm. they, they, they're coming here claiming political asylum. Well, and how do we fix their country so they don't want to leave? And how do we mm-hmm. work together in a way where we can all help each other in this aspect? I think we're not educating enough people on it. That's, that goes with also the, the, the organizations that are, that are doing human trafficking. I don't think we're educating enough people down there in South America that they don't have to use that process. There's mm-hmm. that legal process, but yeah. you know, manipulation is strong and, and, and people, you know, that's a, it's a huge business down there. Yeah. I mean, we, you look at what we did even as far back as the eighties with the El, with El Salvador are mucking about with the Reagan administration and, and some of the, um, some of the massacres that took place and you know we we've we've really if you study what's gone on since the 60s we've done so much mucking up down there in south america we've created kind of created our own problems um it it and now i know that uh, evidently the um the, the 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 people you mentioned that are doing this human trafficking that are running the you know what do they call them the wolves or the uh the coyotes the coyotes and, and and some of the people that are encouraging people and, and getting paid. Evidently, it's a billion dollar industry to move people to our border across yeah, South America. It's, it's probably more than that. I would wow. say more in the trillions because right now, what's yeah, I, usually, I didn't even talk about this in the book because it's such a it's a whole book on itself. But human trafficking can, is turning into now. Um, you know, sometimes organ harvesting is what they're finding out with Intel. Holy crap! So yeah, we got Chinese stuff going on. Yeah, so it's it's getting wow. crazy. You know, uh, and they don't care. They get paid up front, so they don't care if some mother dies you know, crossing wherever or is pregnant. They don't, you know, they don't care if you make it. You already they already got paid. But yeah. I mean, it seems like until you shut down this billion dollar industry, um, you know, that gets paid to traffic people or do something, is there a way to hold? countries more accountable i think i don't know if it was the trump administration or the biden administration but at one point they were trying to keep people get mexico to quit and other countries to quit letting people pass through and is there is there any way to hold countries accountable and say hey man knock it off or else yeah i i have no idea if we'll ever (laughs) have any kind of power influence on other countries that's kind of tough there's a lot of trade that happens between us and mexico and yeah we actually have a pretty good relationship it's just it's not necessarily it's the you know it's the organizations that are that are doing the manipulation behind the end you know and, and you know mm-hmm. it's just cartels who power it right that the money is so so vast over there that corruption is is everywhere yeah and then you know i mean there was the recent kind of rhetoric that's been going around well we need to start a war with mexico um you know we've been doing more in mexico as we're trying to move away from china because of the issues with taiwan and and our chip manufacturing different things and uh it's kind of too bad i really think we should just annex china or x we should annex china there you go annex (laughs) mexico it's a little hard to do i don't think they're in for it we should really annex mexico and just i don't know uh make them a thing but we can't do it by force they'd have to like agree to it but um you know i mean we're such a trading partner with them as you say um you you can't go to war with your biggest trading partner (laughs) yeah i know it's i i think that argument is so crazy to me i think isn't it you know there's definitely some organizations down there that that are are corrupt and that are causing a lot mm-hmm. of issues. And uh, you, I guess you can focus on that. But like to say mm-hmm. to go to war with Mexico is just like that's a short sighted comment. There you go. Do you so? Do you think that the first 
the first step in the right direction is to somehow get Congress to pass better laws and to finance more money to this issue and, and try and actually do something. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think, yeah, exactly. I think uh, if, if the first line of defense you have is Border Patrol, let's focus on how do we give that more equipped and, and more personnel and as well as better, better, I guess, deterrence opportunities, right? So the argument with the wall was crazy to me because people boots on ground guys like me who actually do the job there's areas of the border that are impossible to work to manage yeah. it's so deep sometimes it takes two and a half hours just to get to your point where you're supposed to even check right and mm -hmm. so if you have things like a wall all that is is a deterrence it allows them it allows you one to have more time but two it funnels people towards areas that you can actually manage better and, and that's mm -hmm. all it was and so the idea of like People getting mad about the wall. Well, guys, I mean, boots on ground. We don't see it in this political argument. We see it as a, as a, as a, a value to doing our job better because there's mm -hmm. areas that are so rural, so desolate. It's like, man, I need someone to cover that because I can't get there within enough time. And by the time I get there, if something does occur, say 20 people just coming illegally, by the time I get there, they're already scattered and possibly to a road of some sort and already picked up and gone. And so. The wall was just one way of being able to slow down the, 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 the movement, and that helps a lot, you know, and there's a lot more things like that. Did, now, I've seen people scale the unscalable wall with ladders. Oh, yeah. it's, quite, right. it's quite interesting to see. There's, there's, uh, yeah, they scale it, they cut through it, they, there's, they go under it, there's everything, but at, at, that's at such a small percent that it's oh, that still more valuable to have that than not to have mm. it. Do you think we need more walls or do you think maybe yeah. we just need more people in, in the, in the border patrol? Uh, I think both. Up? I think both, right? There is areas that are like impossible to cover. You have to have something other than just open. There's open territory from Mexico all the way to, to the United States. There's still tons of land, thousands and thousands of miles of land is still just open. They can just walk across no issues whatsoever. And so I think there is still areas that, that desperately need the wall. I think we definitely need more personnel boots on ground. Um, it's hard. It's hard when you demonize the career field. It's the hardest recruiting you could ever get to tell everyone on, you know, everyone who's watching that the border trades are the reason or they're, they're beating them or this or that. What most don't get is that the Border Patrol's position with immigration is actually very passive. If you think of a cop pulling someone over and he pulled them over for a reason, usually they're ready, hands on their pistol, and they're ready to, 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 to escalate that. Us as Border Patrol agents, we, don't, we have the pistol there, but the first thing we ask is, you know, we tell them to stop. You know, most times they stop, and if they stop, then it's like, hey, let's go. They just get into the truck willingly. They, they got it. They got captured. Very few put up a fight. Wow. We just take a, a, a more of a, I would say, a passive posture in that. I think our presence is intimidating enough for them. They've heard the stories that Border Patrol does this and that, but the truth is, if you look at the use of force uh, uh, numbers, the Border Patrol, Border Patrol agents get assaulted by far way more than the average law enforcement officer based on how per capita of how many engagements we have wow. compared to the turnaround is how many times have a Border Patrol ever pulled out his pistol annually it's the lowest in almost any law enforcement you can find. And the numbers wow. are in the book. Wow. And that's probably true because I mean, the, I, I imagine I, I, I shouldn't say it probably is probably true. <laughs> the, uh, because you know, these people technically want to be found half the time because you guys have water and food yeah. and they may have been crossing a stretch of desert. They, they don't want to cause problems because if they know if they fight you or, or cause some sort of issue, it's probably guaranteed. They're going to come down with a crime and come back. Um, do Americans, do Americans are Americans, you know, I believe in you get the government that you you deserve. Um, and so when it comes to if you don't like your politicians, go find a fucking mirror and look at your fucking mirror and who you're voting for. Um, and so I blame the American people for everything, including myself.
Uh, so if you want better politicians, you know, uh, put better politics, vote for better politicians or demand that those politicians do their jobs, actually do their jobs, not just the, what is it, four hours a day or something they show up once a week. Um, the uh, uh, And so I do we need to be more compassionate? Do we need to have more empathy for these people? Because they are human beings. And, yeah, uh, that's, yeah, it's, I think the Border Patrol does what, what, what the American people, they see it as a threat. And I get both mm -hmm. sides of that argument as well. Like I said, there's two sides of that argument. Everyone mm -hmm. that comes across and, and not thoroughly vetted, there's a potential risk factor that could be potentially yeah. in, in, infiltrating, right? People say the invasion. That's always a threat. But at the same time, they are human and they're looking for a better life. My mm -hmm. hope is that they have invested interest in the United States and want to do want to help make this place an even better country. Mm -hmm. If they have invested interest in this place, yes, I'm interested in having you. I'm interested in you providing value to our country. Absolutely. But so then your kids have a better opportunity as well. Absolutely. That's what immigration was back when I was. That's what my grandmother came here to America and made the best opportunity she could. And she created uh, a lineage of us who wanted to serve our country and protect and and so on and so forth. And so there, here I am protecting our country, going overseas and now doing it in, in here uh, in country. That's what my bloodline wanted to do, to continue to invest into this country. And I hope that the thousands and thousands that are coming across have the same intention. But I, I, am, I am not ignorant to say that is the facts, mm -hmm. right? So there is people coming here. They want that opportunity of what America presents. And then there's people here that just want to kind of use the system for what it is. There you go. And then politicians who just want to use it, not really do anything, it seems, but just either be abusive and, and use it as a political curmudgeon or, or um, weapon. And and again, you know, I, I get real tired of some of the different politicians that are out there. And it's like, do you you guys are the ones who are supposed to pass the laws? Like, why are you complaining about this stuff? But uh, one thing someone was bringing up to me recently um, was the small donor issue. And I didn't realize what was going on with the small donor issue. But uh, one thing about shifting from large uh, money that has been influxed to the things, which has its own issue to politicians, is a small donor issue flooding to politicians is this sort of nature where people on social media, their politicians, can kind of just kind of hit these these hot points that they want to hit. And they can be like, oh, see, here's what's going on over here and blah, blah, blah. Send me some money. And they fundraise off it. Yeah. And and they don't really fix anything because they can fundraise off it. Why fix it when you can raise money off it and, of course, ensure that you're going to be reelected to fix those problems that you always promise to fix and you never fix? Yeah. And it really made me have an aha moment. I'm like, yeah, no wonder these guys never fix stuff and never do the laws uh, to update this stuff. But you're right. I think the Border Patrol and Immigration and ICE and, and everybody – kind of gets caught as the as the uh as the person who gets the stick on this and gets blamed for everything and and uh and sadly you know the people pointing the fingers half the time are these politicians that could easily fix it and you know, they just pass some laws and say say this is the thing so i'm glad i'm glad this discussion is out there i'm glad the education is out there and you're educating people on what needs to be done thank you Thank you. Or what can be done, um, assuming we can get people to do it. But, you know, the most important thing is for Americans to care and elect people or demand better from your politicians. You know, I'm, I'm reading, uh, what is it, the, the uh, I want I always call them the Madison Papers, but I'm reading the uh, Federalist Papers right now. And the intent was that we were supposed to send our smartest, the most brightest people from all walks of life and work to... Uh, you know, spend four years or two years in the six years in the uh, in the Congress, and then come home. 
It wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be, you know, the geriatric uh, retirement community that is right now. And people have been there for 50 years and, and they certainly aren't as smart as the brightest in many cases. So, you know, we need to do better as people in what we uh, do. Final thoughts as we go out on your book, uh, uh, Vince, uh, on Borderline. Yeah, no, I just, I hope that people, you know, take this opportunity to pick up this book and read it because the most important thing you can do is be informed and actually educated on the topic itself. There's too many people jumping to conclusions on titles of blogs or, or, or these, you know, these agendas left and right, you know, let's just get educated on the topic. Let's understand what Border Patrol career field is about. And, and when you understand that, I think that's a good starting point to really continue to learn more about immigration. Education is the best way to to fix everything. Understanding the problem instead of just being led by the nose or hairs around by by uh, politicians or you know people who are beating drums, going oh this, this is going on and and you're like wait are you supposed to be the guy who fixes this and uh, there you go I think that's more what people need to realize because I've I've kind of come to that I'm like wait is this your job like I don't pay you to complain about this stuff I pay you to fix it. So there you go. Uh, thank you very much, Vincent, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Give us your .coms, where you want people to find you on the interwebs, please, sir. You guys can, like I said, vincentvargas.com, or you can find me on any kind of social media. Usually it's Vincent Rocco Vargas. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is. If you have any questions, hit me up directly. I answer everything. There you go. Order the book, folks, wherever fine books are sold. Remember, it's Christmas coming up, so buy a whole bunch and give away. Borderline, Defending the Home Front comes out November 14th, 2023. You can pre-order it now wherever fine books are sold. Uh, get educated, people. The more you know, that's why we do the show. I mean, half the time, I just love being so educated myself from all the great authors we have on the show. But the more you know, share the knowledge and demand more from your politicians. That's uh, my advice. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Go to goodreads.com, Voss, LinkedIn.com, Voss, YouTube.com, Voss, and Voss one on the tickety-tockety. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. We'll see you guys next time. Oh, <laughs>